Welcome to the Friendly Fire Podcast, a Navy SEAL Museum production. Hi, I'm Rick Kaiser, retired Navy SEAL Master Chief and Chief Operating Officer of the National Navy SEAL Museum here in Fort Pierce, Florida, the birthplace of the Navy SEALs. We are recording from inside the museum's own Mark V assault craft, and now I'm going to introduce my good friend, Tim Nichols. Hello, everyone out there. I hope you enjoy this podcast. My name is Tim Nichols, retired Marine and professor at Duke University. I'm super excited to participate in this, and I think we have a lot of cool things to talk about. Uh, Hello, listeners. This is Tim Nichols broadcasting from North Carolina. This is the Friendly Fire podcast where two friends get together and discuss contentious issues. I'm uh, joined by my close friend Rick Kaiser down at the Navy SEAL Museum in Fort Pierce, Florida. And you can always find our podcast on Apple Podcasts or on the Navy SEAL Museum website, NavySEALMuseum.org. And uh, we're going to have a great discussion today. So um, you're... uh, you're I should say your our president Joe Biden. Thank you. Um, yeah. And his and his uh, immigration policies have uh, basically since. I mean, how long has he been in now? Three months? Four months? Yeah, almost um, three. And two. we now have a a major crisis on the border uh, of immigrants flowing in here. So everything that the left was complaining about Trump with uh, separating families, locking kids up in cells, doing all that is happening right now. But the outrage has disappeared. Um, so what what happened to it? Are you, yeah. Aren't you upset that we're you know have a have this crisis down there? Uh, we have COVID. We had all this stuff, but nobody cares anymore. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what's happening in the border would be characterized as a major crisis. Uh, and I don't. I haven't heard any of the governors doing the things that they would normally do in a major crisis, which is declare a state of emergency, which then turns on resources to deal with the major crisis. I think it is going to take some time to figure out what's right. I think what uh, the former president was doing was cruel and unusual. Um, but the positive of what Donald Trump was doing is it was a deterrent, and uh, the the kind of rigidity at the border caused people to behavior change. And I agree with that. Uh, however, uh, the way that it was being done was inappropriate. And I so I think when O'Biden, when Biden comes in and changes it. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Yeah, when, it, when Biden co- uh, co- comes in and relieves some of the pressure, there is going to be an increase uh, in people coming to the United States. And they're going to have to address that. We have 50 senators and uh, Democratic senators, 50 Republican senators. We're at a good spot right now in the next four years for the United States to figure out what their immigration policy is going to be. Everything has been right, Band-Aids. Right. We've been Band-Aids for 20 years, and we've got to get past that. No, I, I, I totally agree. We have to deal with the people that are here, most of which are good hard workers they just want to have a good life understood but right we don't have a a policy that's right and it seems to me that the only people that helps by not having a policy are is the left because they but i honestly believe that by bringing these uh immigrants in they believe that you know hey we're going to give them uh covid checks we're going to give them free medical and hopefully in four years they'll vote for us uh, that's what I see. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I think that I, I think everybody is is uh, pro immigration policy. It's just how and what that they disagree on. I think I do think America 
legally lets in hundreds of thousands of people every year, and perhaps that number should be increased. I don't know. I don't know what the right number is, uh, but I do think we should control our borders. I do not see, this is the difference between you and me. Like I see someone who's running from a bad situation coming into America. Like it's really hard for me to view him as a criminal, right? You guys are my, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't view them as criminals. I, I view them as someone who has a problem, and I'd like to, in the perfect world, I'd like to help them in their country so that they don't feel like they need to run and that their country is stable enough. That's been a real challenge for us. You know, 30 years in the SEALs, you know, how good is South America and Central America? How good have they been? They've been a nightmare. Right. So the justification for leaving those countries is valid. They come to America because they want safety, they want to work, they want uh, income, they can send it back. Like, I I would do that, but you're right. The fact that they just come without, um, you know, without the United States having any control is also a problem. So my hero in the Senate for many years was John McCain. I thought he was very serious, uh, a very uh, power player in the United States Senate. He was pro-immigration reform. He constantly talked about it, could never get it done. Uh, there are a number of other people in the House that are the same way on both sides. The United States needs to have a immigration policy that is fair, that's compassionate, uh, that's real, that's enforceable, and uh, that reflects our values. And we, Rick, we've sucked at it for decades. No, I, I, I agree with you. And what I can't figure out for the life of me is, you know, the, the main problem states, I don't know if they problem states, the ones that have the most issues, Texas, California, Arizona, f- probably Florida is, is, in, is in that mix. You would think that the, uh, the governors of these states would be like jumping up and down saying that, you know, our, our social services are being overwhelmed with, the, with these people coming in because they're the first line that they cross. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the immigrants cross. So, you know, I know in Texas it's a big problem, and I know that recently the governor there just sent more troops, National Guard troops, to the border to help uh, enforce the border and try to have some sort of, uh, you know, structure down there. Arizona, you know, they have a couple crossing points, but a lot of that is just desert, and that's the big threat to the people coming across because a lot of them die in the desert. California. God, you know, God, God help him. You know, <laughs> that governor is about to get recalled. Hopefully, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just think it's a complicated problem. And the idea people want a solution instead of an incremental uh, series of solutions. I will tell you. I'll just give you a quick example. So, uh, where I live near Raleigh, there is a Mexican a, a consulate of, of the nation of Mexico in near Raleigh. Yeah. And I've met the cons, uh, the consular officers, and they say their responsibility is to make sure that the people who are of Mexican citizenry, who are uh, in the United States and specifically in North Carolina, that they're that they're taken care of, kind of like a U.S. consulate overseas. And so I asked them, "Do you collect information on these people so you can pass them information uh, if if there's something from home or if there's a new policy?" And they go, "We, we can't. We're uh, they if they come to us, 
to the Mexican uh, consulate and say, my name is, you know, Tim Nichols, I'm a Mexican citizen, and here is, uh, here's my information, then they can be entered. But to go out and collect that information, you know, the U.S. law prohibits that. So uh, governments are trying to help people. If someone is in the, uh, a Mexican citizen in the United States, either uh, where they came through formal channels or they came through um, what I would consider illegal channels, they still need to be cared for. They're still connected to people uh, back in their host nation. And so, you know, we have to think think through this in a uh, multi-layered fashion. Criminals, true criminals who are criminals in their host nation, you know, we should have a way of screening and preventing them uh, from entering. Uh, people who are, are truly trying to find sanctuary because they're, uh, they're, their lives are in danger, that's a different category. Uh, people who are coming for work, if you are, work in uh, Guatemala and you, and you have a no-kidding job in America, then you go through the green card process, you come to America and you work, and as long as you have that job, then you're, you're here to work. Um, each of these categories is treated differently, and the, the uh, administration of those uh, falls to U.S. policy. It's the, it's the federal government, not the state government, uh, that is responsible for that. And I, I, I'm very saddened that our politicians can't make it better. No, I hear you. I, um, my nephew, uh, I don't know if you, I think you have met him, um, just recently got married to a, a gal from Ecuador. Okay. And uh, she's illegal, you know? So the, she, he went to the lawyer and tried to do it legally but there's just it wasn't going to work out. So the lawyer advised him to marry her before uh, her uh, tourist visa ran out, because uh, I guess that makes it easier to pro- put him, th- put her through the process if she's married before she becomes illegal. I don't I don't know all the uh, ins and outs of that. But uh, so I have a, you know I have a personal connection to what we're talking about, and I, of course I don't want her to be sent back. Um, and there are everybody has this type of story, and there should be a solution for it. But I, but the other thing I do hear is people that have worked hard to do this legally are not happy about what's going on with all these people that are here, you know, other than following the law. Yeah, okay? I got you. I won't even call it illegal. Yeah. Um, so you got to see both sides of this is, and you know, so we either have a law or we don't, it's, it's like anything else. It's like guns. We either have a law, we follow it, we enforce it, or we don't. But what's happening now is states, cities are choosing to pick and choose what laws they enforce and what they don't. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that is part of this dissatisfaction. I mean, we're not happy with the governing that we're getting, Rick. We're not happy at the city level, at the town level. We're not happy at the federal level. We're certainly not happy at the state level. And so this is a real test for the fundamental uh, you know, the ethos of democracy, which is the people elect officials who lead. And you may not like the person, but that's the elected official. And the, your recourse is to throw them out in a couple years. And so we're going through this tumult right now where, uh, you know, Trump, uh, I think he was politically uh, showed some political brilliance because he channeled a lot of this anger with governance to support, uh, you know, his his uh, campaign. And we're angry. We're frustrated. 
there's, the, there's very little in the government that I think works well, to be frank. Uh, the pandemic, we ended up finding out that the CDC, they weren't fully uh, funded, and so they made some mistakes early on. The post office, we don't need to say anything more about the post office. You know, the Defense Department is an egregious waster of money. Um, and, you know, you could give 10,000 examples of that. And so, oh, yeah. like, where are we? Do I want to live out on my property, you know, my compound in the middle of North Carolina? And I go, look, I don't want to be part of the government. I want to do my own thing. That's not really, that's not real. Or do I want to take my, put my hat in the ring and enter into politics? And I go, well, that's pretty distasteful. So as a citizen, you know, how much power do I have over shaping government for me and making it better? I don't know, man. No, I I agree with you. I I told you I've been approached to actually uh, run. You'd be great uh, for, for office, but it's like I, I don't exactly. It's it's distaste. It's distasteful. I, I mean, I, I don't have the time or energy. Um, you know, just running running the museum. Um, I do a lot of things that I that I don't want to say distasteful, but a lot of times I um, put in situations where I'd rather be home. You know what I mean? Sure. I'd rather, you know, it's just a constant energy out and that's what a, a politician is energy out because you always have to take care of the people that are voting for you um and it's no different in business i guess um uh, it's just the level of it you know and the amount of the amount of sucking up you have to do you know so yeah. i'm at a comfortable level right there where i can live with myself being becoming a politician i'd have to take it up 10 notches you know and you would build i mean immediately the day you're elected you'd have a huge opposition Right. right. Like no matter right. how good of a guy, like I think you're a tremendous leader. I've watched you in action for decades and I think you're an excellent listener. You take care of people. Uh, you are decisive when you need to be. Like those are the qualities I want in a leader. But because your and my political views are different, you know, there would be people uh, who would just attack you right off the bat because you don't agree with them. And I hate that. Like I, oh, you know, just give yeah. Rick a chance. You know, that's what I would be saying. Yes, give peace a chance, Tim. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I know, I'm like kidding. Yeah, only the dead Wait. have seen the end of war. Only the dead yeah, have seen the end yeah, of war. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. All right. So I've been thinking about a couple different topics I want you to uh, to pontificate on, and one that came to mind was: Is it true that in your early career as a young SEAL, they sent you up to Great Lakes? Uh, to help with the recruiting piece, like, you know, being, I don't know what the right term is, like being cadre. Is that right? Yes. Yes. What was your job? I was, uh, I was the main SEAL recruiter. Or I shouldn't say SEAL. It was of all of, uh, Navy special warfare. So it was SEAL, EOD, Navy diver and rescue swimmer. I was the main recruiter up there to try to get people that had already joined the Navy and were going through boot camp to come to our special program if they had an interest. And they were already in, in boot camp, but they were not yes. full-fledged sailors yet. Correct. They were going through the process of boot camp. Now, obviously, they had already signed up for some job in the Navy. So I was not a popular guy at the boot camp because I was trying to take those people that are already signed up to be like a electronic technician okay. and trying to get them to become a SEAL or a diver or whatever. So those guys didn't like to see me coming around, but that's so, what I did. Here's my question. Uh, these, like, 
we're really struggling to recruit for the military. Um, and I shouldn't say to get people, to get numbers, but to get the type of people that we're hoping for. Do you think that the recruiting approach uh, that was generated kind of, you know, we, we've been an all-volunteer force for almost 50 years now uh, of recruiting them and taking them to boot camp and then kind of stripping them down and building them back up and kind of putting a totalitarian, like, you know, cadre, drill instructor or whatever. You think that still works You do, uh, for the kids that America is generating? Or do you think it's... Uh, and I'm not. I don't have uh, the answer to this, Rick. But do you think it's time to change? Because what we're doing, a lot of American youths are like, that's you know, that doesn't work for me. No, I, I, I think it still works. Okay. And this is why I believe it. You have to. You have to get all. You get all these people from all over the country showing up at boot camp with all different ideals and life experiences, and you have to break. You have to break them down into one common vision, and that's whatever you know. Okay. Whatever uh, the the Navy deems important in this case, um, to teach them um, how to become a good sailor. So I think you have you have to break it down like that. I think where the problem is. Tim, to be honest with you, is that the uh, recruiters are being forced into a corner and out of uh, visibility of these young uh, people in high school or wherever they're doing. They're, the, the recruiters are not allowed to be part of their lives. The military is not allowed to be part of your day-to-day existence at Duke. I mean, how often do you see a military person running around there? I, I don't know. Well, we have the um, ROTC, so you see that. Yeah, they have some cadre. But, yeah, but what is it? I think it's like less than two percent of this country's ever served sure. in the military. Yeah. So, I mean, the odds of you running into somebody like that are very slim. So, if it's not in front of you, of course, it's not even an option. So, the alternative to that is like going to college. So, uh, I, I think that's the real problem. We have to be more out there. It has to be more of an acceptable. Uh, uh, career path than just um, you know if you're poor and you don't have any other options you join the military it's it's got to be more than that and uh, I think it was for me uh, because I wanted to become a, a SEAL right and I think a lot of times these these they, they don't have any other option and I think that's the problem so you think it, it's not a boot camp problem it's a recruiting problem Yes. Well, it's not. Uh, it's not the so much of recruiting. It's just this country is like, uh, you know, it. If you talk about the military, yes, everybody supports the vets and this and that right. and the other thing. But if you uh, say, is it a viable job for young people? A career. I think most yeah. people are going to say no. Right. You know, I agree with you. Yeah. That's uh, that's the problem. Yeah. But as far as when they go to boot camp and what they're taught and how they're taught, I don't think that. You know, that's eight weeks of their life. They suck it up and then they move on and then they be, have a normal life again. And then they either stay in or they don't. So um, I think you're right. I think that if the economy or the job market was bad, I think more people would be looking at the military. But but if you hold it up against some other job, it doesn't it's not as attractive. You know, the money, the independence. Uh, the ability to change jobs, the freedom—you um, don't get that with the military. And I, I, I wonder, even if we had a more 
a robust presence on college campuses or in society. I mean, North Carolina's got 140,000 active duty uh, that work in the state. Virginia has 220,000. So we have a large presence here, but that behavior is the same, Rick. They, you know, people don't, my students, I constantly play up uh, the rewards of being a serving uh, military officer and the benefits, the travel, the excitement, the opportunity, the brotherhood, the cohesion. I constantly talk about that. And and a lot of them want to work for the government, but not just not the military, not a uni- not in the uniform services. So um, you're right. That's a problem, I think, that, that uh, is coming to a head right now. No, I agree. It's it's basically education. We've talked about this before. Education is the key to all of this. They, the average person in this country is just not educated on the military. That's why we have a Navy SEAL museum, right? So when the people show up here and they look around and they start asking questions and then you're just like, wow, I can't believe they don't have a clue. But that's a majority of our citizens don't realize what the military does how a military life is. Um, yeah, and there's struggles, but uh, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, from what I did from, you know, when I joined when I was 17 till I retired when I was, you know, Older. 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no gray hair, right? Yeah, none. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, I diet. Yeah. My what? my Yeah, yeah so that, I've, been, I've just been thinking about that. My nephew just recently graduated from boot camp. Um, and Great oh, Lakes. Congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. I'm so proud of him. He's, he lives in Florida. He's from Florida and he's going to go to um, uh, some kind of aviation tech school in Florida. Uh, so he's going to be back in his home state. He's a good kid and I'm, I'm super proud of him for making that choice. Uh, but he, it took him a long time to get in. They The recruiters were not sure they wanted him. And uh, he wanted to go two years ago, and at some point in time, they finally called him, and they said, okay, you're up, you know, if you still want to oh, go. Wow. And so I'm, pr- I'm very proud of him. Yeah, oh, nice young that's man. That's awesome. Yeah. No, my, my son-in-law is in the Coast Guard. Um, you know, I there's a hundred jokes I could tell right now about yeah. Coast Guard. Are but, they the uh, military? You know yeah. Is that the military? <laughs> <laughs> I, was very pr- I was very proud of him for making that decision. Sure. And, and you know, my daughter, uh, his wife, um, because it's a, you know, she grew up in a military family. And she I knows. Go, yeah. And I said, Emily, what are you thinking? <laughs> you just lived through this your whole life and now you're doing it again. So I guess it really wasn't that bad. And that's, what, and I, I think if you talk to her today, yeah, she doesn't like the deployments. She doesn't like being away from her, uh, her, her husband, but it's, it's honorable profession. He's doing a great job and he's got a career and purpose, Yeah, you know, for as long as he chooses to. And they're in the net now. They're in the safety net. Meaning they're never going to be rich, but there always is a kind of a base support that they're going to get, whether it's the TRICARE or, you know, he's the paycheck. It doesn't come late and he doesn't get fired and he doesn't, you know, so there's a the military has some aspects of socialism that are very soothing. Like you don't have to worry about these things so you can just do your job. And um, I I know that Emily and um, Chris will benefit from that. Well, did you know that uh, if you join the Coast Guard? That you are automatically considered a GS, a government service worker. No, I didn't know that. So yeah, so they're both. They're military and GS. So let's say after eight years in the Coast Guard, he wants to go apply for a GS job in you know across the country. He is number one on the list. Wow, 
uh, and the point system because he's already in the system. He's already a GS. It doesn't work like that for the rest of the military. Yeah. And I found that uh, fascinating when he was telling me about it. I was just like, I, I had no idea. Good so, for him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever if he'll change and get out of the Coast Guard, but it's just more opportunity. So I, I would imagine for the Coast Guard, that would be tough because that right off the bat, all the people in the Coast Guard could apply for another job and, and likely get it. Yeah. So, uh, Unlike the military, you you know you have to go out and find that other job and take a chance if you get out. They you know? can walk so, right into one. Yeah, so I, I, I learn something new every day. You know, yeah, that's pretty. So cool. Other than other than that, they only go into uh, water deep enough so they can stand up. I didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> um, oh, I I told you I wasn't going to tell any jokes, but I did. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. They're just unfriending you. I think that's the right term, right? <laughs> yeah, my own daughter's unfriending me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I I've, uh, I think we've covered some uh, big issues. I think for a future Friendly Fire podcast, I want to talk about uh, a derivative of what you just said, which is the, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the term, but a retired military member uh, getting a GS job and they give them some kind of advantage for having served. And I'm wondering if that, Although they've earned that advantage, I'm wondering if the civil service is better or worse being, uh, especially in the Department of Defense, being so flooded with military folks as opposed to non-military folks who bring a different viewpoint. Um, I, I'd like to talk about that maybe in a future podcast. You know, that's 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 a good point. Uh, and now that you mentioned that, yes, I see the goodness and the, I saw both sides of that. Um because you don't necessarily get the best person, best qualified person for the job because of the criteria for the hiring. So, yeah. yes. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, we'll talk about that one in the future. And uh, I'll let you close out there, Tim. Well, uh, friends, um, you've been listening to the Friendly Fire podcast. Uh, we're two good friends. Uh, hit issues from different perspectives and share our ideas. And I'm hoping that this is a form of entertainment for our listeners. Um, this is Tim Nichols, broadcasting from North Carolina, and my friend Rick Kaiser at the Navy SEAL Museum down at Fort Pierce, Florida. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts or at the Navy SEAL Museum uh, website, NavySEALMuseum.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to uh, talking to you in future podcasts. Hey, thanks, Tim. Um, I forgot to mention, so if somebody does have a question they would like to ask Tim, they can email it to me at the uh, museum's website and uh, I will ask him because I know there's a lot of people out there that have no clue how he thinks. So I'll be happy to ask questions for you. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.